right, good evening. Good evening. Dr. Kemp, Dr. Kemp, testing, are you there? Good evening, I'm here. Good, sounds good, I'll meet you back. Jim is uh, in transit, so he'll come on the show a little later. All right, I'm gonna meet you back. Coach Lay, are you there? Yes, I'm here. How you doing? It's good I'm, to have you. I'm doing and, great. Uh, and if it makes it easy for you, just Coach Meek. Coach Meek. All right. All right. That sounds good. All right, Coach. I'm going to meet you back, and we're going to yes. interview you, uh, introduce you, excuse me, somewhere around 825, and we'll be ready to go, okay? Yes, sir. All right, Coach Meek. Glad to have you, for sure. All right. I, now. I appreciate uh, it. Thank you. All righty.
nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Good evening, and welcome to another evening of Cliff Burtz and Friends, featuring the very best in all of women's athletics and HBCU sports. We have a co-host with us tonight, Dr. Marla Kemp. We also have Jim Wardell, who's in transit, but he'll be with us shortly on the air. And we'll introduce a little later, Coach Shanika Randall Lake. And she says that we can just call her Coach Meek. So I'm gonna let her just say hi right now. And then we're gonna talk to a little later. Say hi to everybody, Coach Meek. All right, we'll get her in a little later on. Okay, so before we get started, we lost an icon, um, an icon of an actor, an icon of a civil rights leader, an icon of a person, and none other than Mr. Harry Belafonte. And I'm gonna let Dr. Marla Kemp say a word or two to us about Mr. Harry Belafonte. Dr. Kemp? Sure, good evening, everyone. Um, thanks for joining us this evening. Um, like Dr. Burt said, I just want to just take a few minutes just to acknowledge some of um, Mr. Uh, Belafonte's, his, some of his accomplishments and, you know, thank him for his life service with us and may he just rest in peace. Um, Harry Belafonte was actually born as Harold George Belafonte Jr. He was born on March 1st, 1927, and we all know that he passed away last Tuesday, April 25th, 2023. He was an American singer, actor, and activist. He popularized the Calypso music um, with international audiences actually in, 19, in the 1950s. He was one of the few performers to actually received an EGOT, an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony Awards. Um, his Oscar, although his Oscar was in a non-competitive category, um, he still won it. He earned his career breakthrough with his album Calypso in 1956, which sold 1 million um, selling LPs by a single artist. And if you remember this song, he was best known for his recording of Deo, the <laughs> banana boat song. Um, he also had other songs that, you know, you may be familiar with, and he recorded in many genres, um, including the blues, the folk music, gospel, show tunes, and American standard music. He also starred in films such as Carmen Jones, which you may remember or saw um, back in 1954, um, Island in the Sun, 1957, Odds Against Tomorrow, Buck and the Preacher, 1972, which I remember, and of course, Uptown Saturday Night in 1974. And he also did his final appearance of film in Spike Lee's Black Klansman in 2018. Mm -hmm. um, he considered the actor, a singer and activist, Paul Robeson, as a mentor. And he was very close with uh, and a close confidant of Dr. Martin Luther King, especially during the civil rights movement in the 1950s and the 1960s. He was a vocal critic of the policies of George W. Bush, Donald Trump administrations, as well as uh, President Obama. 
and he acted as the American Civil Liberties Union celebrity ambassadors for juvenile justice issues. Um, just some of his few awards um, about Mr. Uh, Belafonte. He won three Grammy awards, including a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award, an Emmy Award, and a Tony Award, which I mentioned before. In 1989, he received the Kennedy Center Honors. Um, he was awarded the National Medal of Arts in 1994. In 2014, he, was, he received a Humanitarian Award at the uh, Academy Awards. And in just last year, in 2022, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in the early influence uh, categories. Okay. Um, Mr. Belafonte, he was married three times in which he had four children, including everyone may remember his daughter, Sherry Belafonte. Um, he was born to Jamaican-born parents, both his parents. Um, his mom was a Scottish Jamaican mother. His father was Afro-Jamaican um, descent. He actually went to, he was a native, uh, I'm sorry, his grandmother was a native of the country of Jamaica where he attended school. And then he later moved to New York City where, where he became friends with a lot of people that we are familiar with, a lot of actors and actresses who actually helped him um, get started in the business and where he continues to this day. Amen. All right. So hand clap, Mr. Harry Belafonte. Rest in peace. Okay. We're going to move on. In the new month, let's give a quick review. Our woman of the month started last December. Miss Lucia Harris. January was Coach Pat Head Summit. February was Miss Flo. Hyman. March was Miss Wilma Rudolph. And April was Miss Alice Coachman. So we have a new woman of the month. We've been talking so much about gymnastics. And we have Miss Diane Patrice Durham, born June 17, 1968. She died February 4th, 2021. She was an American artistic gymnast. And in 1983, she won the all-around senior title at the Women's U.S. National Championships, becoming the first African-American athlete to do so. She also, early in her career, she began gymnastics at a young age, at nine years old. Ebony Junior Magazine, in an article titled, Look Out for These Shining Stars. Let me just give you a few of her accomplishments, and we're going to be talking about her all month long. In gymnastics, she, 1981, gold in the all-around. 1982, gold in the vault in Pennsylvania. 1982, gold in the uneven bars competition. 83, gold all-around. 1983, in Illinois, gold again in the all-around. We're just going to move it up. 82, again, silver all-around. 83, silver uneven bars. 84, uneven bars bronze. She is unknown. She never got to compete in the Olympics. Came close. But Ms. Diane Durham is our Women of the Month. And we're going to learn so much about her as we move through this month of May. Marlo, tell me what you think. And then, Jim, I'm going to let you come on in and you tell me. Ms. Diane Durham, let's give her a hand. 
Awesome. She paved the way for, you know, our young gymnasts that we see now, not just the current ones, but those like uh, Simone Biles and Dominique Dawes and Gabby Douglas and, you know, and many more, um, you know, ahead of them. Um, you know, I guess coming, you know, from the Midwest and what I um, really found fascinating is how her life intertwined with the famous um, Caroli uh, coaches, you know, which... Mm -hmm. You know, since they were famous, um, you know, on the on the scene, and it was just amazing. I slightly remember her um, when I, you know, um, just looked up her information, and I'm so glad that you, you know, actually brought her back to the forefront. So may she Jim? also rest in peace. Okay, Jim. She sounds like she was an unsung hero. She was our age. Do we know what happened? Because she was died in 2021. No, I don't know. I know she's only 52 years old, but I, I'll look that up. We'll, we'll get that for the months out. But uh, I don't know what happened, Jim. I don't. Mm -mm. Okay, but she said, like I said, sounds like an unsung hero. And I'm like, Marlo, going to love to hear more about her. Well, we would definitely we would definitely bring it to her, to you guys, okay? Our woman of the month, Diane Durham. Now, we lost a giant in the field of track and field. On May 1st, or I think it was yesterday, Ralph Boston, the Olympic long jump champion in 1960, who broke Jesse Owens' 25-year-old record in the long jump, passed on Sunday. And uh, in the 80s, in the 60 Olympics, he hit that 27-foot mark and, and, and set a trend. He was an alumnus of Tennessee State University. So Dr. Kemp, that's your school. But uh, he will be missed. And Jim, give me your thoughts on Ralph Boston. And anyone in the chat room can type something as well. Ralph Boston, what do you remember about him? Jim? Okay, Dr. Jim, uh, come on in. Uh, Ralph Boston? Were you? Okay, come on, Jim. I'm sorry, where you had um, Muhammad Ali, uh, Wilma Rudolph, you had a lot in Rome. You had a lot of black black stars that were that uh, shined in the Rome Olympics. Yeah, and, and and he was one of them. Marlo, he's alumnus of Tennessee State. What are your thoughts on him? Just passed yesterday. Doctor Kemp. Sorry, I was trying to unmute. Um... I didn't, I didn't, I'm glad you brought this up because I didn't hear much about um, his passing. Um, you know, may he, of course, rest in peace, our Tiger Bow. Uh, but he was, he was awesome. I definitely remember him as a track and field um, athlete and a legend. Anytime you can surpass the, uh, the legend of Jesse Owens, um, you know, that says a lot. Uh, and of course, he's a, a tiger, you know, that, that goes without saying. Yeah, he had a stroke, and then they say he passed suddenly yesterday. So, again, let's give a hand clap, Mr. Ralph Boston, another legend, track and field. Yes, sir. All right. As we said, we're going to catch everybody up on track and field in our five conferences, track and field. And so here we go. Nope, we have one more story. Jeannie. Rice. I've been wanting to get to this story. 
a few weeks ago, April 17th, this outstanding 75-year-old female ran the Boston Marathon. Now, for you track runners, <laughs> she ran it at a time of three hours and 33 minutes. She averaged about eight minutes and eight seconds a mile at 75 years young. So, Jim, <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> Jim? Yes. What do you think? Vinnie Rice. And she did this at 75? 75 years young, just a few weeks ago. Oh, she's uh, she's a legend. <laughs> like we had that uh, lady that ran the... Uh, and she was 100 years old and ran her. She probably has uh, probably is the only one to do that and probably yeah, has the record. Yeah, she was running 100 meters, but this is 26 miles. So, a little Oh, different. I'm saying she she has <laughs> she has that record by herself as well. Yeah. Yeah. Marlo, <laughs> Jeannie Rice, what do you think? Uh, you know, my hat goes off to Jeannie cuz I think I probably still been running on the Boston, you know, marathon. They'd be like, mm -hmm. um, excuse me, ma'am, everybody has gone home. You need to just <laughs> You need yeah, to just go ahead and quit. <laughs> I'm like you, Marlo. I'd have been, they'd have been out there turning the lights out. I still would have been running. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's something special. But she did it, it in, is. A, in, in a great time. And she is to be congratulated. That's for sure. All right. We're going to move on to track and field. Just got a few minutes. Uh, the track and field championships are coming up in our HBCU conferences. Um, Norfolk State will be hosting <clears throat> the SWAC Outdoor Championships. And it will be at Norfolk State in just a few weeks on the weekend, I think around May 10th, 9th or 11th, excuse me. And that's the MEAC, not the SWAC, the MEAC. Norfolk State will be hosting those track and field championships. So they're coming up. The CIAA track and field championships are coming up uh, this weekend, and that's going to be down in North Carolina, I believe in Durham, okay? And then the uh, SIAC championships as well will be coming up. So we're going to have all of those results for you next week, okay? So we'll be looking forward to finding out who our champions are. Now, <clears throat> we have one more thing, and then we're going to go to a break. We're just going to report on a few of our conferences, softball, because we want to get started in our softball to catch you up. The SIAC, the Eastern Division, and this going up on the conference record, Edward Waters in the Eastern Division, 19-3, Albany State, 16-6, Clark Atlanta, 10-12, Fort Valley State, 10-12, Benedict, 10-12, Savannah State, 5-14, and, and Allen, 1-20. And, and if you go to the Western Division for softball, Spring Hill, 17 and 2, Tuskegee, 15 and 4, Miles College, 13 and 6, Lane, 11 and 6, Kentucky State, 6 and 14, and Lamoan Owen, Lamoan Owen. They are 0 and 13. Okay, so they have a kind of a tough time right there. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to do one more of the SWAC. The SWAC softball standings in the East Division, the conference record, Alabama State. 17 to 7, Bethune Cookman 15 and 9, Alabama AM 13 to 10, Jackson State 13 11, Florida AM 12 11, 
and Mississippi Valley State is one and twenty-three. And when you go to the Western, Prairie View is twenty-two and one, Grambling State fourteen and nine, Alcorn eleven and eleven, Texas Southern eleven and twelve, Southern eight and sixteen, and Arkansas Pine Bluff three and twenty. We will get back to our other conferences next week, and we'll let you know how softball is going. And uh, we're going to go for one minute music commercial break. And Jim, be ready. We're going to come right back with our men's update sports from uh, 8.15 to about 8.25. All righty. We'll have a quick break, and then we'll be right back. Thank you. Welcome back to Cliff, Bert, and Friends. Jim, let's take it away. The men's sports. Catch us up. Okay, in the MEAC, the track and field athletes of the week are Kai Cole uh, from uh, Norfolk State and Emperor Campbell from Delaware State. They don't have baseball, so there's nothing to report there. Track and field and SWAC, as Cliff said, is this weekend. Baseball in the SWAC. Uh, is 12 and 7, Jackson State 9 and 12, Mississippi Valley State 5 and 16, Alabama AM 3 and 16 in the Western Division. Grambling is 14 and 4, Prairie View is 12 and 5. Texas Southern is nine and seven. Southern is ten and eight. Arkansas Pine Bluff is six and fourteen, and Alabama State is three and fifteen. Sebastian Greco from FAMU was the Player of the Week with two home runs and twelve RBIs in the three-game series, and Nicholas Wilson had thirteen Ks in seven innings, giving up one run. So they are doing very well in the swap. Now, what I wanted to talk about was the lack of HBCUs being dra- HBCU players being drafted by the NFL this week. Okay. They had one player, Isaiah Bolden of Jackson State, that was drafted. Now, in all fairness, they had 20 players that were picked up as free agents and signed to a free agent, you know, non-binding contract. Sometimes that's a blessing. You get to pick your team with it might have weakness at your spot. Other times there's no guarantee that you make the team. Now, a couple surprising (coughs) omissions would be Kamari Averett, a tight end out of uh, Bethune-Cookman, who was widely regarded as one of the better players in 
HBCU land, J.J. Holloman, a receiver out of Tennessee State, and Robert Mitchell. Now, Dion made some comments about it's a shame that for the other 31 teams didn't draft anybody, and some other people were saying some of the same, but I don't know. What do you guys think? We what 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 needs to be done? Well, Jim, uh, Aubrey Miller, the linebacker for Jackson State, and that surprised me that he didn't get drafted. And then they're always looking for good offensive linemen. And I can't remember the kid's name from Arkansas Pine Bluff, the mm-hmm. big guy. But he was supposed to go early, so um, I'm not sure what happened. Last year we had, what, five or six that were drafted? Four. Four, okay, from HBCUs. Two of them played a big part in getting their team to the Super Bowl this year. But I'm just not sure um, what 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 could have happened. Marlo, what are you thinking? Well, didn't they have the, the combine for them for, like, yes. the HBCU players? I mean, it was, like, they really, did. like, and then, like, why was why did they have that just for show? Um, you know, if, I guess if they weren't really that serious about really trying to, um, you know, draft, you know, some of the players, they have the talent, you know, it's just, it's just interesting that, you know, none of them were actually um, in the draft. That's interesting. There was so a player on the Lions. Picked up as, a free, as a free agent. Yes, they got drafted in the sixth round and he said, I think only three players that ever had sacks in their first four games. And I think he had eight sacks and he only played, I'd say seven, eight games. So there's talent there. And I think, I guess it just needs to be honed in even more. Yeah. I think Mark Evans was the guy you were talking about. Cliff. The big tackle. Yeah. Yep. yep. And he, yep. he did sign with somebody, you know, Isaiah land, Shaq Davis, Aubrey Miller, Xavier Smith, Josh Pryor, Andrew Farmer was another big name, Jadakus Bonds, Keenan Isaac, Ali Sheely, Dallas Daniels, Cam Peterson, Claudia Char- Claudia Charles, Dion Godet was the only quarterback out of that group drafted. Uh, uh, signed, not drafted, I'm sorry. Dellen Warren, Raymond Boone, Edmund Wilson, Keyshawn Marie. Ricky Lee and Darius Higgins. There were five defensive backs, four linebackers, two offensive linemen, three defensive ends, four wide receivers, two running backs, and one quarterback out of the 21 players that were either drafted in Isaiah Bolden's case or the 20 that were signed as free agents as of, I think, 10 o'clock this morning. Who's the quarterback, Jim? Who's the quarterback? The quarterback is... uh, Dylan Glott, and I believe he's out of a Division Two. and I think he's out of the CIAA. Okay. Okay. Hmm. Well, nice variety. So, you know, they give Dion heck about leaving Jackson State, but if he wanted his son to be drafted, I hate to say it, but was that a necessary evil? Well, um, we'll find out next two years, how good he is. I think um, he would have gotten drafted out of Jackson State. The question is how high. But I think so. We'll I agree with you on that. Yeah, I think he's that good. But we'll find out 
for sure. Uh, for sure. The thing that always happens, Jim, though, from the HBCUs, you're going to get a player who may have been a running back or and they're going to line them up to on punt team or on kickoff, and they'll make a roster that way. It always happens mm-hmm. with the HBCU players. And um, somebody's going to show up in the league that way and make a big difference on someone's squad. I hope so. I hope we get at least – out of the 20 that were non-drafted, let's say we get 12 to make rosters and maybe yeah. another three or four to make the uh, the uh, taxi squad. I see. All right, we'll keep up with it. We'll keep up with it. And the other four to make the squad. <laughs> That'll be our mm-hmm. 20. <laughs> and I, I forgot to announce it, but there were two players that were picked up by the CFL, the Canadian Football League. All righty. Nice. Okay, nice. All right. Now... The betting scandal. Yeah. There were five players, four Detroit Lions and one Washington Redskins, that were got caught up in a betting scandal. It is illegal to bet on the NFL. I mean, their three players were suspended for a year. In 1965, it was Paul Horning and Alex Karras. And last year, it was uh, Calvin Ridley. Mm-hmm. Now, this year... They had two Lions, uh, C.J. Moore and uh, Quentin Cephas, that bet on the NFL. So they were suspended for a year, and they were summarily dismissed by the Detroit Lions. And there are two other players, including the star wide receiver from Jamison Williams, that did not bet on the NFL, but bet on a sport. So they got six games. And there was one Washington Redskin, I believe he was released as well. Also, the Detroit Lions fired, I think, four lower-level employees for gambling. Mm-hmm. Now, the quandary is this. You take money from FanDuel as a partner of the NFL, but I understand you don't want your players to bet on the NFL. That's, that's understandable. But what if you made a bet on the uh, Lakers-Golden State game? Should that be illegal? And part of the problem was they, they bet either – I don't think it was in the locker room because there are no games. So you had to bet on the team in the team facilities. Now, someone said, you know, that why didn't they just have a buddy bet or just walk out of the facility and, you know, go 50 yards away and then bet that way? Mm-hmm. But it, it is a slippery slope mm-hmm. when you take money from gambling and then you try to regulate it. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? Did they? Well, it's a slip. Go ahead, Marlon. Did they know? Um, in terms, it is of, in I'm, every I'm, locker room like, that they know? have a uh, big thing that said gambling is illegal on the NFL. I don't know the exact wording. But in every locker room, as you enter it, you see that in every facility as well. I guess my question would be: Did they know? In ter- I knew, and they probably knew about the gambling is illegal. But in terms of your, uh, you know, if you are on the facility, you know, is, is, is you you how much of what they know, you know, um, did they know? I'll be honest with you, Marlo. I had never heard that before. I knew it was illegal to gamble on the NFL, just like it's illegal right. in Major League Baseball to gamble. 
and all the other sports, I'm sure. As we've had the scandal with Tim Donahue in basketball, the referee, and then Pete Rhodes in baseball. I did not know that you could not gamble on other things inside the confines. But as somebody brought up, you're not allowed to do a lot of things at work. And this is their work. So hopefully they will, this will be a lesson learned by not only the two Lions that only got six games, but the whole NFL can will learn yeah. that you cannot do that on the grounds of your workplace. Mm-hmm. All right. Now on to the playoffs, which yes. we have our final, well, our semifinals are set now. You've got Boston and Philly in the East, the two versus the three. And in a surprise, you've got the five versus eight matchup with the New York Knicks and the Miami Heat. Oh, Nick. Again, go ahead. Go ahead, Jim. I'm sorry. Again, injuries are playing a key role here, especially in the Miami uh, New York series. Tyler Hero is out. Jimmy Butler turned his ankle last night. His status is questionable for tomorrow. But in Jimmy Butler's favor, they don't play after tomorrow until Saturday. So some would say they just send him back on the plane to Miami, let him rest till Saturday. Then you have on the other side, Julius Randle didn't play on the the game on Saturday or Sunday. And he's questionable now. But in Julius Randle's case, a lot of the Nick, well, Tom Thibodeau is famous for playing his players too much. Julius Randle actually turned his ankle or got slammed into the stanchion. In the game, the Knicks were down by 25 points, and it was less than four minutes left. Why he was out there, no one knows. That's just a fool's choice to be out there in a game you can't win. You sit your stars down, let somebody else play. Now, going to the Western Conference, you have Denver as a one nothing lead over the Phoenix Suns. Denver's the number one seed. Phoenix is four. And in a surprise of surprises, you've got the Lakers as the seventh seed versus the Golden State Warriors as the sixth seed. Steph Curry set a Game 7 record by scoring 50 points <laughs> last night as the, as the Warriors defeated the Sacramento Kings by 20, 120 to 100. You know, he has entered the conversation. Is he the best point guard ever, or do you call him a hybrid guard or whatever? But he's entered the conversation and should be ranked as a top 10 of all time player. I agree Steph with that. Yeah. <laughs> no. I have to, we have to move forward. You know, LeBron versus Steph, that's going to be a series. You know, Anthony Davis has to stay healthy. But my one question right now is who do the Lakers have that will be able to guard Steph Curry? <laughs> we shall see tomorrow. That's just a question, but <laughs> I, I don't know. And, you know, we'll if he can score 50, you know, look out. have any predictions for the uh, basketball? Well, uh, I'm from New York, but 
if Jimmy Butler's ankle is three quarters of a way, <laughs> Miami's gonna beat New York. Uh, <laughs> Jimmy Jimmy Buckets is tough, and he's I never been given his his due to me. So I that's agree. one for sure. I predict Miami will take them if his ankle is just three quarters of the way. Which he's you know got what, something you can't teach. Mm-hmm. This is the playoffs. If you got a sore ankle, I suppose it's going to be hit early and often to make sure it's well. Well, he's that kind, though. He's willing. So that's where I'm thinking that they he needs to sit out till Saturday. You take him basically a week off mm-hmm. so he can be as healed as he's going to be. Because you went to New York. You won the first game. Mm-hmm. The objective usually is when you go on the road to get a split. Mm-hmm. And they've done that. Mm-hmm. So don't play on Tuesday, make it worse, you lose, and then you're out for a period of time. Okay. So what about the uh, Lakers versus the Warriors? What do you guys think about that one? Warriors. I think Warriors ultimately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they may, uh, I think they may get the Lakers this year. Unless LeBron just put everybody on his back again. But, you know, this is a year where, you know, LeBron – because I can see Denver beating Phoenix. Mm-hmm. So then if LeBron would to, were to win this round, he would go against Denver. This would be the year that he mm-hmm. could go to the final. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we will see. We got a lot of basketball this week, Jim, and things are tightened up for sure. And um, we'll come back next week and we will give a comprehensive update for sure as things tighten up in the NBA. Mm-hmm. All righty. We're going to take a one minute break and we're going to come back with Coach Shamika Randall Lane. She said, call her Coach Meek. All righty. Randall Lane, born February 7, 1979 in Cleveland, Ohio. High school, she was Miss Ohio Basketball Player of the Year two years in a row. She was named a WBCA All-American. She also went on in her college years, and she was a member of the University of Tennessee women's basketball team, the Lady Balls. They won the NCAA Women's Division I Basketball Championship in 1998 for the perfect 39- and oh, win-loss record. She was one of those three-star players on that great team collectively known as the Three Meeks. Randall, Tamika Holesclaw, and Tamika Ketchings. 
Her reputation as a standout defensive player, one of the nicknames, hard to handle Randall. In a game at UConn, where the Husky fans booed her relentlessly, that earned her the nickname Boo. In 1999, 2000, she was a Kodak All-American. She also played professionally and she also for the Seattle Storm, Utah Stars, and the San Antonio Stars. She also has an extensive coaching background, Cleveland State, Michigan State, West Virginia, Ohio, Alabama A&M, Rice State, Cincinnati, and she's the present head women's basketball coach at Winthrop University. She's won medals internationally in Mexico, where she won the silver in 1996 in team competition, and she won the gold in 1997 in Brazil. Please welcome me, join me in welcoming to our show None other than Miss, I'm going to call her Coach Meek. That's what she said, call her. Coach Meek, welcome to the show. Man, th thank you guys for having me. Man, that's a that's an intro for you. <laughs> well, Coach, it's so good to have you. Um, I'm going to let my co-host say hello, and then we're going to get started. We tried to find some Rocky Top music, but we couldn't, so, you know. <laughs> well, I won't sing it to you because I'm not a great singer, so we'll just leave it at that. All right. Dr. Kemp, let's just say hello to Coach Meek. Hi, Coach Meek. Welcome. Glad to have you. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on here, and I look forward to uh, answering all those questions for you. All right. And we're, I'll remind our, our audience to put some questions in the chat. Jim, I'll let you say hello. Coach Meek. Uh, how you doing, Coach Meek? I remember, I think, one of those championship games, Cliff came over my house and we watched it together. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. okay. We were, li we were okay. living in Nashville. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I, appreciate the, I appreciate the support. Hey, well, let's catch up, Coach Meek. Uh, mm -hmm. Myself grew up in Nashville, Tennessee since 76. So I was involved through and through. And then Dr. Kemp and Jim both went to college in Nashville, Tennessee. So we are all fans through and through. So you're at home tonight. Yeah. All right. Good old Rocky Talk there. there you go. Mm -hmm. Coach, um, let's start in high school. And you're Miss Basketball, State of Ohio, top notch recruit. And Coach Summit comes in your chill. This is 1998. So everybody in the country kind of knows that she is. How did you handle it as a player that Coach Summit is there to see you play? <laughs> well, if I can take you back down memory lane, uh, mm -hmm. at that time, uh, Coach Summit was actually recruiting one of my teammates, Nishima Hillman, mm -hmm. um, who went on actually mm -hmm. to go play at Vanderbilt. And so uh, the time she saw me, I was a little eighth grader running around with some jeans on, jean shorts to be exact, because my teammates gave me a hard time because I didn't have basketball shorts back then. And so um, Pat happened to come in our, our gym where my high school coach, Pat Diulis had like a, uh, had a gym where he ran tournaments at. And so uh, we would practice there. And so she showed up in the summertime and we were playing open gym. And she said, who is that little young kid out there running around? And my, my coach said, that's probably the next up and coming one that you'll be recruiting. And from that point on, um, I ended up getting coach number. And back in the day, you could call collect. And so that's how I started my relationship with Pat because I think I probably called her if it wasn't once or twice a week collect and it was like you have a collect call from Samika and so that's how our relationship started she was actually 
there to recruit somebody else and ended up seeing me. Okay, I have one more question, and I'm going to come to Marlo, and then we'll come to Jim, and we'll kind of go around that way. That's Coach, right. I, I want to start with the record. Um, we know Coach's numbers as far as wins and losses, but when I read her graduation rate over 38 years, that everybody who played for her for four years graduated. I think that's the greatest accomplishment that doesn't get talked about enough. So as, as a coach yourself, what is it you can say that Coach Summit's program instilled in you that you instill in every one of your players? I mean, discipline is number one. And she always talked about how you win with people. And like, so she did a really great job of managing, managing all of our personalities and say our backgrounds we came from. She took the time out to get to know us and motivated us in ways that that we could relate to. So um, her definite doesn't resonate uh, uh, in me a lot. Um, so I kind of use some of those things in order to, to say build or play off of what uh, my system and stuff is today. So, and I'll, I'll say this, you, you know, you talk about academics. I was a kid that could have been a Prop 48, took the SAT seven times, most embarrassing moment of my life. But when I got to college, because I finally passed it and was able to play and be a part of that 39 and 0 team, my first week in college, um, uh, I took, I, I, it might have been 18 hours of study hall because I was like, and I not want to get behind. And then the competitive nature of me wanted to make sure I do well in the classroom. So um, I graduated in three and a half years. Yes, yes, yes. Dr. Kemp, you have the next question. Nice, nice. Um, Dr. Burt took one of my questions, um, <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, I guess uh, my question is, so are you? Uh, did you know that you wanted to go to the University of Tennessee? Um, just at least coming from Ohio, correct? Yes, ma'am. Um, so, growing up in Ohio, um, yeah, did you like know that you wanted to go to University of Tennessee, or were there other colleges that you were looking at? So, great question. So, obviously, Ohio State recruited me hard. Um, I kind of had no interest in it, but uh, there was an assistant coach at the time. Her name is Nikki Lowry. She's like, Meek, I'm going to call you every day. And, that, and the head coach, Nancy Darsh, who actually was an assistant at, for Pat Summit back in the day, was like, I'm going to call you once a week. So Ohio State was there, but I, I really wasn't interested in it. So I had five schools going in, again, because of my academic. Um, I had, you know, needed to focus on that. So uh, everybody offered me, but I narrowed it down to five, and that was Virginia, North Carolina, uh, Tennessee, UConn, and Penn State. And... I knew right away, like when we got on the process of saying going on official visits, coach set me down. was like, you can't go on all those visits. You need to be in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to win a championship. And the fastest way to win a championship, it was literally picking between UConn and Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jim? Well, Marlo stole my question. <laughs> hey, Y'all gonna be stealing uh, each other questions now, and I got stories for fine. days now. We, had, we we had good questions, but yeah, I'm a Michigan fan, and I was just wondering oh. how, you, how how Ohio State I let you get out of there. But um, we have a question from the chat from Renee. What advice do you give to high school players that inspire to play college basketball? 
Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing, and sometimes it gets kind of uh, like that blindsided by this. Like it, when you get to college, this this game of basketball because of now with the NIL deals and the mm-hmm. transfer portal, which I'm quite sure y'all gonna ask me about at some yep. point. Um, mm-hmm. It's a business, and so I, I don't think parents. Um, nor say AAU coaches or high school coaches do a great job of all the time consistently preparing these athletes that, you know, when you get into college, like, you know, time management is super important, but understanding that when you get that scholarship every day, you're trying to earn it and keep it. And uh, so you have to go out there and play whatever role that that coach needs you to do, and you got to accept whatever role that is. Um so I think um, when they play AAU, it's great. You play six, seven games in a day, and you think, oh, I'm just going to the, the, the hotel to go get in the pool, and this is fun, and we get to stay up late and have all, you know, this girl time, so to speak. And when you get to college, you're like, oh, my God, trying to manage being a student athlete is, is, is tough. It's hard. There's a lot of, you know, sacrifices that, you are, that you're making every day. And, and and sometimes you don't feel like you're getting what you 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 feel like you should, but every ha- everybody has to play a role on a team, and everybody's role on a team is super important, whether it's a big role or a small role. But it becomes a business, and you have to perform. Mm-hmm. Coach, you get to Knoxville, and we're going to talk a lot about it, and then we'll move on to your coaching at other schools as well. But you miss Ohio, coming out of uh, Ohio best player. Now you walk in the gym and Ketchings, Chamika Holmes, and I believe was a, what's her name, Snow? Was she a center, Michelle Snow? Uh, yeah, but Michelle Snow was like two years later. Two years later. Yeah, all those people were in the gym, yes. And and now, and I recruited everybody. <laughs> <laughs> like, so I, like, when you talk about Carol Lawson, who's down at Duke, yeah. and Tasha Butts, who just became the head coach at Georgetown. Like I was the host for most of these people. So I was recruiting great players, but I wanted to play with great players. That was the only way, you know, you could win. And so, you know, in order to be the best, you got to play the best every day. And that meant that may sometimes mean losing your starting position. And that happened to me, but I had to refocus so I could get my starting position back. So I enjoyed the competition. Um, we loved it. Like we would have rather played, uh, did practice more than we play games because games were over so quick. Wow, wow. I have a, I have a special question uh, from somebody in the chat. I think you know her pretty well. Uh, Terry Williams, Virginia Tech. She's been on our show, and uh, she, y'all played. Uh, I think I drafted the same year for the WNBA. Yeah. yeah. Well, so she up, says, Terry? "Hi, Meek. We still need to catch up." <laughs> But how are NIL opportunities influencing your coaching approaches? What do you foresee happening as far as women's basketball as a result? Will players leave? Will players want to stay? And how will security policies potentially be reshaped as a result? That's from Terry. That's a that's a big question, Terry. Um, I think we're all trying to figure this thing out right now. Um, uh, I can't speak about recruits and stuff, but I can say about the transfer portal, it is like the wild, wild west. Mm-hmm. Um, I can say this, that across the board, loyalty is 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 a lost word from 
when you look at it from the coaching standpoint, because I get when student athletes sit across from me and they're like, well, how do I know you're going to be here? Um, and if you you may leave and because the money is great right now um, from a kid standpoint, why should I be loyal to you when somebody might hit them in a DM and like it, they may present them with a better opportunity, which we know you're not supposed to tamper, but that stuff happens. And so um, it's I, I'm happy that the women's game say is getting that buzz. It's just it's going to take some time to regulate what you can and cannot do. So it makes it kind of scary, especially when you throw the money into it. Like now we're just paying players the high and, and players are looking at the highest bidders. And so some teams are getting great and some of us are just swimming. Mm. Yeah. Dr. Kemp, next question. Yeah, that was my question. I was, cause I was going to ask, like, do you see the student athletes decisions changing now overall like what their big picture is for college is it to get the degree you know play as a student athlete or now is it about making the money it's both you know you have some some student athletes and some women who are smart who are going to institutions where on the long run uh, from the education wise this is the best program to say get a degree from and then you have some kids who are extremely talented and they know that they can, you know, are they're building their brand. So they're making money. So I, I think it just it, it falls all over the place. Um, uh, and I'm happy for the game because I have to go back to me when we went 39 and oh, I remember that I was making a piece of last for two days. And now you got people buying. Gucci, uh, I can't even pronounce half the designer gear that they're getting. Um, so I love the game that the fact the game is growing. I do think we got to regulate it and get some of this under control. But I mean, it's a good thing. Like, you know, and, and I got to, as a coach, I'm learning how to change within times to be able to keep up with the Jones, so to speak. But I do think we need some rules in here. And I think the the NCA to some degree is trying to come back and regulate it. I just I just hate that we just said a free for all. So now it's like yeah. things are just so so crazy now where you're seeing kids switch um, based on say coaches leaving or somebody over here got a better opportunity. And everything that you go through in life, this is this is the thing. Like nothing's easy. So you're going to have some adversity. So you got to figure out how to fight through something. And if you don't learn this like now in college, like, man, you're not going to be prepared for real life because real life ain't nothing but adversity. You wake up having to figure out how to embrace the process of what what's being dealt at you. And that's where faith comes in, in, in my opinion, and just trusting, trusting your process of what what God has in store for you. Amen. Jim? Jim? Yes. Well, I have a question about the. Uh, transfer portal because i think two unintended two unintended but severe consequences are happening mm -hmm. one is being harder to recruit players out of high school because you can go and get a player that's played two even three years in college and plug them in and two a lot of people are getting in the transfer portal and then losing scholarships because there's nothing there for them yeah i mean it's a gamble on both ends i mean think about it as a recruiter and i tell uh my the athletes that i'm recruiting out of uh, the transfer portal this is the most vulnerable space for a coach and i would say a player we're speed dating we're, we're literally trying to learn as much information about an athlete in a matter of two weeks 
um, you're bound to make mistakes. And, you know, I've always said this when I've interviewed for jobs, you know, recruiting is our lifeline, our bloodline, like in order to be successful in this game. Um, we want to think that we get them all right, but we don't. We don't know the unseen, like how chemistry is going to play itself out as this kid you know, that really love it. And, you know, the other part of this, the the mental health, sometimes you don't know where a kid has come from a different program and their mental health is shot. And then you're getting, you're trying to, you know, pick up the pieces for something that has happened traumatic for them and trying to, you know, get them to be this player. Um, so to answer your question, you know, I think it's scary on both ends of it. Like, yes, student athletes who jump in a portal thinking that the grass is greener on the other side or setting themselves up where they may lose out on a scholarship. And then the other side of it where, you know, maybe some people are, are getting a good situation because it was a say toxic. Cause that's their, the new word that student athletes use is a toxic environment. Maybe it's, it's best that they do move on. So there's so many angles you can look at it. Uh, it's just scary. Again, the loyalty crossed the, the, the border. It's just not there anymore. Like in, in my era, as much as, as Pat was hard, I had to trust her. Whether I agree with her or not, I had to trust in order to get to that next phase of my life. Now we're just throwing that out the window because it's like I'm going to pick up and leave and go to the next and next. But maybe I need to deal with some things in me in order mm -hmm. to be successful. And I don't think I think parents miss out on that. And I know I definitely know student athletes miss out on that, too, as well, because I, I, I have to look at myself. I needed Pat to check me about my little attitude and personality. Come on now. <laughs> Coach. Coach. Uh, I, I want to ask you about, I'm going to go up a level, because with uh, Brittany Griner returning to the WNBA, the whole thing of, remember, there are only 144 slots in the WNBA. For those who are fortunate enough to even get drafted, like yourself, like Terry. So what do you see? I guess the education still needs to be number one that we're missing in all this, because the reality is most players will not play in the WNBA or play overseas a long time and make money. And, and could you just stress how slim those chances are and still the need for education? Because you've gone that road and you played about four or five years in the WNBA. Am I correct? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm Terry to tell you this at the era when we came out, our second round first pick made 38,000. Mm -hmm. Um, that's not a whole lot, but then when you think about it, man, four months getting paid that, like at that time we were grateful for that. So yeah, we can't dribble the basketball forever. I know we think we can, but the reality of it is you can't. And so the education aspect of it is super important. I, I will give the, say the women's league, uh, credit, like it's, you have to pretty much graduate in order to declare for the league or you got to be of that age like where your maturity like you've gotten some kind of schooling um before you could go play professionally and again with 144 jobs it's a very slim opportunity you get in that job you can get drafted like what we're seeing or you're gonna see this upcoming year after training camp dwindles down here is that those people that was first rounders last year half of them gonna get cut yep. this upcoming season mm -hmm. Because, um, again, being that there's only 12 spots and, you know, limited teams, they're going to have to figure out how to make their money elsewhere and where they make their money. Um, because I had a great career 
living overseas and like the money that Britney was getting like a million or two million over in Russia, like people ain't passing it up. It's tax free. Um, but you have to sacrifice a whole lot yeah. uh, living in foreign countries and trying to function in a world where you just don't have your family with you. You don't have you don't have that support and you're 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 growing up real, real fast. So yeah, it, to emphasize it, it is about making sure you get the degree. And but I, what I love about where the women's game at, is at right now, at least we're kind of forced to stay in college a little bit longer than say the guys. All right. I have a couple of questions from the chat. The Jim, you go next. Jeff has oftentimes the influence of a coach is the most important thing to a player. Sometimes more than a parent. What advice can you give a player to look for in terms of the negatives? they can expect in college and the pros. So what you can expect in a negative part? Negative or positive, mm -hmm. well, pros and cons. So the, the, the pros is the, the, the different types of people you get to meet, because that's what the world is. Like when you talk about real world, you're gonna have to function amongst a ton of different types of people and you gotta figure out how to make it work. Uh, the negative, I think, I think some, sometimes you'll, you'll realize my, and my mom used to say this to me, y'all, everybody ain't your friend. Mm. <laughs> You're only going to have a handful of people that are going to be, you know, you know, have your back. So you're, you're going to learn that throughout, uh, throughout your life that some people that are, 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 that you call your friends may be a seasoned friend mm. and not an eternal friend. And the ones that you do have hang on to those. So it may be one or two people that you rock with for life. And then, you know, the rest are just passing. You preaching it. We got to call you. I hope I'm answering these questions right. It's, it's all great questions. Mm -hmm. Oh, you preaching it. We're going to call you Pastor Pastor Meek. Go ahead, Jim. Hey, my, my, my dad was a pastor. Now. Come on, I hear it. I knew oh, it. Oh, second, second kid. All right. Come on now. <laughs> Jim, now, one question I had for you was about playing overseas with the what happened with Brittany Griner in Russia. Do you think that we are ever going to see the influx of players playing overseas? Absolutely. That ain't going to stop. Even with the whole thing uh, of Brittany, and I know it's been pretty silent um, because her story is big and, and, and like, and thank God we got bg back here mm -hmm. but there were still athletes that went over there guys the reality of it is and i don't even know if i should say this but if somebody's going to give you twenty five thousand tax free a month you're going to make the risk there's some players out there that's no, going to do that, that. And, it's not, and it's nine months like it's it's nine months you have to learn how to move so give you an example when i left to go play israel i left after 9 11 and I, my mother thought it was absolutely crazy for doing it. And me being um, <laughs> not smart, probably, but me being having no fear. And I'm like, man, if God wants me to be here, I'll be here. And if not, it's my time. My, my mom was like, you're crazy as heck. But I had left. Uh, I was supposed to fly out of New York and New York to Tel Aviv. But I had asked my agent, can he get me a ticket where I, I go different routes? So I went from Cleveland, Ohio to toronto toronto to tel aviv i think that flight made it into like a 16-hour flight what was supposed to be an eight-hour flight 
when I got there, I knew it was unsafe, but I just paid attention to my surroundings and moved the way I was supposed to. And obviously in the beginning, stayed close to my interpreter and stayed in the house. But then I started to get more comfortable because over in Israel, it's like a mini New York City. They speak English. I knew how to operate there. Um, and I knew where potential suicide bombers could go and, and and i stayed away from that i i remember being in jerusalem and i'm sure we're warming up and i'm like why is the gym shaking so i asked one of my teammates and she was like oh they're bombing over in lemonade i was like oh my god i said let's win this game and let's get back on the bus we are not showering guys <laughs> coach, coach i have a i have a question and um and then dr kemp and and we're gonna go probably just just five minutes the extra five minutes but i do always want to highlight now. So I want you to tell us a little bit about Winthrop University. I know it's about 4,000 students in South Carolina. Uh, was it Rock Hill? Yep, Rock Hill. Okay. And tell us about the school and what students can expect. Say I have a young lady and coach, Coach Meek is recruiting her, all the great things about Winthrop University. Well, first of all, I, I will say Winthrop is a very diverse uh, PWI that I've been a part of. Um, our minority is, is about 38%, and that's really high for PWI. And y'all, we yes. all know what PWI is, right? Sure, sure, sure. Okay. Yes. Um, so that's kind of unique and cool about it. Um, uh, I, I, and, and like today, I was visiting with our VP uh, of uh, Student Affairs, is Dr. Sheila heart broke heart like she african american woman is in that role and you don't see that very often um she's the first in 132 years so i think that's cool about it i think the people are really cool here um athletic wise in the past winthrop has had great tradition where we had about 75 championships in the big south um our men's basketball has been rocking the hill um, like crazy. When you walk into our Coliseum, there's a bunch of banners with those guys. Volleyball has um, the last time they won a championship is in 2019. And then women's basketball had a stint back in 2014 where they won the Big South. And and so I come in a situation where the program has been dormant and I'm trying to revive it like crazy and get people excited about it. And I'm working countless hours along with my staff who's doing a tremendous job trying to get people more and more excited about Winthrop basketball, but it's hard, you know, when um, where Winthrop is located, there's probably about, I would say, at least 10 more schools in the area. So it makes it super competitive. But one other thing that we do have a, a, a great sale going for us, Winthrop is right next door to Charlotte. So we're like mm -hmm. 25 minutes. So you get, you get that town, city in Rock Hill. But if you want that city life and uh, great concerts, great sports teams, you know, Michael Jordan, owner of the, um, yeah. the Hornets, and you got the, the Carolina Panthers and FC soccer. Like, it's just so much um that ha that's happening in charlotte and makes it excited so i feel like you got the best of both worlds because sometimes you know when you go to some of these uh in universities or institutions they're out in the middle of nowhere uh -huh. um, i worked at an institution uh, i won't say the name <laughs> but i literally had to drive two hours to go get my hair done that oh, is wow. not cool <laughs> <laughs> well Co coach lay we know you're gonna coach meek we know you're gonna keep grinding and the lady eagles are gonna keep coming with it and we're gonna definitely gonna keep up with you, keep pulling for you. Uh, we're gonna to go to Dr. Kemp. We usually let her have the last. 
And then if you have any comments, and then we'll uh, do a little little commercial promotional work for the next shows. But uh, Mr. Kemp, anything for Coach Meek? Yes, yes. Coach Meek, one last question before we okay. get off. Um, do your pl- players like realize who you are and <laughs> your pedigree that you came from? And, and, and do you sometimes have to just throw on your lace up on your lace up your gym <laughs> shoes sometimes and just kind of close it now? <laughs> so I'll say this every once in a while, I get that moment, but then oh, no. everything got to be half court. Cause I feel like the older you get, you may you may pull something or something like that. So I'll be very careful when I step out on the court. I try to set myself up for success. And then to answer your question, some players knew who I am, but most players today do not care who you are, and they only want to know about what you can do for them. So I get now I'm in a world of serving, but every once in a while I do share my fun stories with them to just get them to understand, you know, the commitment uh the drive and the love that you have to have for this game and i get that it's about the education on the long run but if you're gonna be in the game respect the game exactly yes we have yourself we have terry williams also from fisk university we have a tremendous player uh renee spencer she's a hall of fame player at fisk as well and not just yourself who played on the big stage and, and, and Terry, but you guys have, have are responsible for the game where it is now. When you, you're still coaching, but when you look on TV and you see 10 million viewers uh, at watching the national championship, I, I think back to clearly Tennessee and, of course, the rivals up there in Connecticut, which I believe put basketball, college basketball, on the national stage. Um, when UConn came along and you guys just had those classics that will be forever remembered. And we, we are indebted to you guys for it. Thank you for it, Coach, because uh, you guys, along with your coaches, were tremendous. Tremendous. Appreciate that. Sure Appreciate. Absolutely. Well, um, normally this time, we uh, want to thank you, and we will thank you before we get off the air. If you want any more sports, and uh, uh, Wednesday night, 9 to 11, 9, 10 a.m., WFDF, Mark Jones and Friends, our parent station, Mark, Jack, Reggie, Luther, Carl, and of course, Jim, who does double duty with our show and their show, and they allow me to stop by every now and then and join them. You can join that. We want to say again, Coach Meek, you have a home here. You don't have to be invited. Old Lady Eagles, Winthrop, we're going to be keeping up and pulling, pulling for you. And we thank you so much. And next time you come back, we'll have Rocky Top. I promise you I'll find it. We'll play it. How's that? I appreciate you. I'll, I'll get you one. Wish that I was on Rocky Top down Uh-oh. in Tennessee Hills. That's all, all right. I got for you. That's all I got. Hey, I appreciate awesome, y'all having me. And, and again, thank you for uh, having me on here. And then just supporting women's sports, athletics. We're trying to make our way up. We need more males to get on uh, on the bandwagon of it and um, support it. Uh, and, and the women are doing a great job. We, we play fundamentally sound. We play Absolutely. hard. And, and we love the game, too, as well. Absolutely. Yeah. As always, hey, we will see. We thank you, Coach Shanika Randall Lay. And we'll see everybody back in 168 hours from now. Coach Lay, thank you so much. Thank you. Y'all have a great evening.